So we finished up our two-part series called Starting Over last week with Jay Etherton, guest preaching. He did a great job, Jay. All right, there you go. So thanks, man. Thanks for, thanks for filling in, uh, giving Josh uh, a little break, but also God had a message for, for Jay to give to us, and I think he did a great job. Before we dive into our next series in February, which will be about relationships, uh, by the way, a great time for that, for relationships, um, we're going to take a few weeks today and next week, and then one more, about the parable of the sower and the seed. We're going to look at this parable that Jesus said of the sower and the seed. And if you like seeds, you know, chickens eat seeds, make sure everyone's awake. Why did Mozart get rid of all of his chickens? Why did Mozart get rid of all of his chickens? Because every time he asked them who the best composer was, they just said, bok, 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 bok. Okay, seed. Everyone's on the same page, right? You can, boo, right, all right, everyone's awake. Yes, gotcha, all right. All right, so turn with me to Luke 8. We're going to talk about seed this morning. Luke chapter 8. Now, Jesus regularly spoke in parables. And if you don't know what a parable is, a parable is a story or a simile and metaphor that were meant for the disciples or other people listening. Now, Jesus' parables took the complex and it broke it down into the simple. It took advanced theology and phrased it so an average person could understand. And through the years now, we find ourselves in the age of the iPhone, right? Of man on the moon, of technology growing our crops for us, and robots doing our chores. Anyone have a Roomba or a robot, iRobot, whatever that's called, right? Robots doing our chores, right? And once again, we have found the ability to not be able to relate to Jesus' parables. Because we don't understand, well, seeds, sowing crops, how do we do that? We've kind of moved past that. Well, other things, other people do that, right? We don't know what it's like to have a lamp on a stand or sow our own crops or even how big a mustard seed is. You may not have known until this point that mustard has a seed. I thought it was just that yellow paste on the condiment aisle next to ketchup, right? Heinz makes mustard. I don't know. That's just where, where it comes from. So let's take a look, look at Luke chapter 8 and let's listen as Jesus talks straight from his mouth to the disciples' ears to be written down on papyrus scrolls and passed down thousands of years to one day be printed in our very own Bibles and now read aloud to be heard by our hearts today. These are the words of Jesus, Luke chapter 8. To set this up, the after this, like I always like to try to explain, because that's the first two words, after this in Luke chapter 8. Well, what's the after this? After this is when Jesus was anointed by a woman with perfume and his hair was being washed by her tears and dried by her hair. Story for a different time, but a, a great one if you've got some time this week end of Luke chapter 7, but we're going to pick up in Luke chapter 8. So that after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, his disciples, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on the rock, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. 
Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. And when he said this, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Now in reading this passage, there are two things we need to understand before we go any further. Somewhat basic points, I I think. The first one is that the seed is the word of God. That's the first thing that we definitely need to pull out of this. The seed that he's talking about is the word of God. I had a conversation some months ago, and the person I was talking with and I had a slight debate about what the seed represented in this story. They were of the persuasion that the seed was different for different people, um, that some people reacted differently because the seed was different. But Jesus' words are very plain to us here in verse 11. The seed is the word of God. You can put a seed in soil and watch it grow, or you can put that same seed on a tarmac in a parking lot and watch it, what, die. There's nothing wrong with the seed, nothing different about the seed. It's where it's planted and how it's nurtured that make the difference. The seed is the word of God he's talking about. Second thing we need to understand about this parable is that it's meant for churchgoers and Christ followers. This parable is meant for churchgoers and Christ followers. How do we know that? Because Jesus isn't talking here about the people who haven't heard in this parable. He's only talking about the ones who already have. I think this is one of those very familiar, classic, traditional Christian parables that especially church-going believers misinterpret. We put ourselves in the role of the farmer, actually, not the location of the seed. We build up our ego-driven, look-at-me society. We focus on selfies, and more ways than we ever imagined to put ourselves out there. We call it social media, but really it's kind of social mania. So naturally, we religious folk make ourselves the farmer, right? That's what we're going to do in this. I, I need to sow the seed. I need to put the seed out there. It's up to us to spread the seed, the Word of God, like God couldn't do it without us. And doing so, I think we missed the point that this is actually a parable meant not for the world, but for us, Christ followers. It's not an ego-boosting story, but a humbling one. Because if we really take it to heart, we realize that we fall into one of these categories. Path people, rock people, thorn people, or soil people. So naturally, we automatically assume that we're the last one, right? Well, good soil, that's me still putting ourselves up towards the top. But I invite you with me to do some soul-searching this morning and be honest with ourselves. This message isn't meant to condemn or to judge. I'm not the judge 
He is. God is. If you feel like you may be in a different category than you'd like, that's between you and God, but know that he has the ability to make you into something better. So we're going to break down this week and next week this parable. Today, we've got to really understand what's going on with these different types of people. Remember, the path gets trampled, the seed gets trampled down, and then eaten by the birds. Jesus says, again, what, when he explains this. And when I was reading this again, you know, he gives the parable, and then he actually spends longer explaining the parable, and the parable should have been the simple thing to begin with. Jesus is already speaking in stories to the other people who aren't the 12, who aren't the disciples. He's like, that parable is for them. I broke it down into really simple terms for them, and you can't understand it. And I think sometimes Jesus is probably like, come on, just... And I, I, getting into this, this knowledge, and then verse 11, this is the meaning of the parable. I, I, I think he just sat him down and just like, come on, guys. Like, you're, you're the 12. Come on with me. This is what it means. Do I really have to spell it out for you? And if you're married and you are a wife and you have a husband, I'm sure these thoughts roll through your mind. I asked you, to, do I have to spell it out for you for the guy to do something? And the guy's like, yeah, yeah, write it down, all caps on the refrigerator, post-it note. Um, yeah, do I really have, yes, you really have to spell it out for some of us guys. Some of us, sometimes we just get that dense. Jesus, in the midst of trying to uncomplicate things, is like, huh? Let me break it down for you. This is what the parable means, and he breaks it down into these four types of people. Path people. Path people. Path people are those who hear this message, the word of God, who know of Jesus, but do not know him. These people attend churches all across our nation every weekend. These people haven't taken the step to make Jesus the savior of their life for his purpose to become theirs. And so guess what? They just sit there. They occupy seats or pews and may even give once in a while, maybe out of guilt or for a good cause but they don't truly believe. It's evident in how they act and what they do and the things they say. There is a hard truth here. There are countless path people in our churches across America today who will not be in heaven. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one knows God without knowing Jesus. People who do not know Jesus do not know the way through this life, the truth in all things, and the life everlasting. They don't know those things. Those are path people. So maybe I'm not one of those. Okay, next step up, maybe slightly better, rock. Okay, what was the rock people? Remember the, the seed that fell on the rock got withered and dried out because it had no roots? Well, let's, let's examine rock people. These are rock people. Rock people are trend Christians. Uh, maybe their friends are going to church, and it's cool. Uh, maybe the church they're going to has a great band, an awesome light show with fog and haze, special effects, and a good motivational speaker, and free coffee and donuts on Sunday mornings. Who wouldn't like that? All right? The church they attend might really be asking the wrong questions. Instead of, are you not saved, the church might be asking the Russell Crowe gladiator movie question, are you not entertained? So rock people go to church, and it's growing and exciting, and there's a great crowd, and they're not alone. And they leave feeling good about themselves. Rock people decide they want to take that step of faith and say, I want to know Jesus. But guess what? 
when it actually comes down to living the lifestyle of a Christ follower, they're like, this is hard. No one, this is hard, guys, really? They think, you didn't tell me it would be like this when it was all lights and loud, fun music. And my friends were here and free donuts and coffee and motivational speaker. You didn't tell me it was going to be like this. But guess what? When the lights stop working and the band leader leaves and takes his paid band members with him and the church budget gets cut, so there go the free coffee and, and donuts and the great speaker-preacher man is found to be a little too generous with other people's money, those are the tests that drive rock people away. They aren't cut out for the joys and the costs of following Jesus. Rock people have no roots and they never get grounded in their faith. They just float in for the freebies and are present for the perks. You can see rock people, and then rock people are gone. You see rock people again, and then rock people are gone. And rock people just... I was talking with Mary about this this morning, about this consumerist society even we live in has affected our churches. Well, I want to find the church that's right for me, and I think there's a church that is right for you, but when you become more focused on the church that's right for you instead of the church that God has called you to be in to serve, I think that's when we start getting things backwards. You know, and so we're sitting in a church. Well, I don't like the way they did that, so I'm not going anywhere. Well, guess what? Maybe you, were be, maybe you were supposed to be the person to affect that change, and you have now removed yourself from the equation. Those are rock people. For rock people, when the going gets tough, the tough wins. I bow out. I fold. I'm gone. Then there's thorn people. Thorn people, you know, remember that we talk about the thorns, and the seed that falls on the thorns is, gets choked out because the thorns grow up, and that means that the worries and also the pleasure of this life just invade the good plant that could have been. Here's thorn people. Thorn people have heard the word of God. Got that? Check one. They go to church and probably even get involved sometimes. Um, They support church ministries and give, maybe not regularly or intentionally, but when it suits them, instead of when they'd rather have that $776.39 per person Florida resident yearly Disney pass. Now, I'm not bashing Disney, don't get me wrong, I love theme parks, or I'm not against building family memories at all, but God made a beach about seven miles that way, and it's free. Thorn thorn people never mature in their faith. They're probably regular churchgoers, but never get involved in a small group or a life group. Thorn people never get invested or invite others. Thorn people never regularly serve in any area of ministry, maybe just for small periods of time. Thorn people know just as much about the Bible today as they did five months ago, or five years ago, or even for some 50 years ago. Thorn people don't need to read the Bible because they think they know what it says, right? Do good, be nice, Jesus is the Son of God, and so on. Yeah, I got it. Check. Thorn people stay just enough involved to feel they're entitled to their opinions to be able to tell others how things should be done around here. Thorn people let life dictate their faith instead of the other way around. Let me read that last part again. Thorn people let life dictate their faith instead of faith dictate their life. Finally, we end up with the last one. Good soil people. Good soil people. Yes. Good soil people are the only area out of the four that Jesus talks about with even the possibility of growth. You realize that? Good soil people. Good soil people have a good heart. They hear the word of God and respond to it. They persevere against all odds, or even the world telling them that's impossible. And I say, well, guess what? I've got a God who does the impossible, 
Not a problem. Good soil, people produce a crop. More people knowing about Jesus. Not because they're wearing a WWJD bracelet around, but because of who they are. Other people know good soil people immediately. I want to know what they know, to have what they have, to be like they are. And so good soil people have the answer, and it's Jesus. Good soil people are investing in being the living body of Christ with ministries and missions and giving. Good soil people mature in their faith and help others mature through community groups or life groups, discipling and mentoring. Good soil people are unmistakably identifiable. You know them when you see them. Good soil people do not let worries or life or money or jobs or cars or even Disney passes take their eyes off the goal of living day by day by day with Jesus. Good soil people know life, capital L, know life, so they aren't concerned with death. Good soil people can't get enough of Jesus, the Word of God, and worshiping the one who made the world we live in and the one who holds their time in his hands. That's good soil people. Everyone say, ah, good soil people. It's just refreshing after talking about rocks and birds and thorns and all that other stuff. Now imagine if the church in America and the world today was only made up of good soil people. Yeah, it was, well, I don't know where it came from, but yes. How different would our world look, right? And so many of us aspire to be good soil people. We want to be good soil people or even continue being good soil people because it's not always easy. In fact, I would argue to say that from speaking to many people, I would consider good soil people, uh, the more you push towards God, the more the devil pushes back. It's a hard road, but guess what? Good soil people are all in, and all in for the long haul. So let's be honest. You may have found yourself not being in the category of soil or ground or rocks or thorns or whatever that you would have liked to be. You don't have the relationship with God you want or the relationship with God you know you should. Today and next week, we're going to look at one key thing today, and then four steps next week. We need to pull out of this section on good soil people if we hope to become one or to continue being one. Many of us in here have been to college, right? Yeah, okay. Good, good, decent amount. And even if it was for a little bit and we changed our major or we changed our future, there were these classes. And Ashley, I know you're, you're in the, uh, the college realm now. You can probably answer this question really well for us. These, there are these classes that have to be taken before, you have, before you're able to take another class. You know what those are called? What are those called, Ashley? Prerequisites. We all got that, right? Prereqs. Prereqs if you're cool. Just shorten it. Prereqs. Yes, my prereqs. Get my prereqs done. Prerequisites. You have to take these classes before you can advance. You are not allowed to be a freshman at FSU and decide you want to just skip biology and skip chemistry and just go straight to being a doctor. Can I just go? Can I just go straight to the doctorate program? And just, yeah, thank you. That's not the way it works. There are prerequisites. And here in the middle of all of this good soil people in rocks and thorns and birds coming to take away and all that stuff about the seed, in the midst of all of this good soil people stuff, we find one. We find a hidden prerequisite. And it's tucked away at the beginning of verse 15. Here it is. Seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart. Now this is the prerequisite for all the fun and the good things that follow. 
We have to have a noble and a good heart before hearing, retaining, persevering, or producing anything from God. That's why this series we finished up called Starting Over that focused on our hearts in 2016 was so important because we can't do anything without God transforming ours. We can't hear the Word of God if our heart thinks it knows everything already. We can't retain the Word of God if our heart is too full of junk or worries. We can't persevere if our heart thinks that it's easier just to give up. And we can't produce good fruit if our heart is bad. Guess what we produce? We produce disease instead, and it affects every part of our lives and the lives of those around us. And you may be able to identify people in your circle of friends, and you're like, yeah, okay, I understand that. It all boils down to the heart. The heart, a good and noble heart, is the key. It's the prerequisite to being able to even be a good soil person. You with me? Okay. I'm sure you've heard the quote, the heart of the matter is a... Maybe you haven't heard. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. And it's true. It's true. When we get right down to what God looks at, when we strip away the facade of our Facebook accounts, the immaturity of our Instagram, when we shed the selfishness and the egocentric ideals, when we stop worrying about finances and failures and fatigue, when we stop pursuing wealth and worldly things and let all of our walls down, we're left feeling what? Very small, helpless, defenseless, and exposed with only one real thing to show, our true selves, our hearts. Our hearts matter. They matter to God. And you know they definitely matter to others. Other people know your heart. And they should matter to us. Only God can change our hearts. So let's just take a moment and stop pretending that each one of ours doesn't need some work or some attention. Let's make that our prayer for this week, for God to change our hearts, both individually and collectively, because it does us no good to come back next week for those four steps to being good soil people if our hearts aren't in the right place, if we're already not in the pursuit of a noble and a good heart. So let's pray that prayer together.